Welcome back to Knocked Up, a podcast about fertility, pregnancy and women's health. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Rayleigh Liu. Welcome, Raylia. Thank you. Welcome. Raylia is a CREI fertility specialist, gynaecologist and director of Women's Health Melbourne. Before we begin today's show, we have a favour to ask. If you're a fan of Knocked Up, please rate us five stars and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other listeners find the show and the resources we offer. Also, we're planning an advice episode. We're going to answer your questions. So please send in any questions on any topic in terms of women's health and fertility. And we'd love to get to your questions on our planned episode. Those questions go to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. And don't worry, we'll keep all queries anonymous. Today's episode... There's a bit of discussion about today's episode in what context we're going to talk about it, and we've decided it's big enough to talk about on its own, and that's chlamydia. So chlamydia is also something that we keep anonymous, and it's a reportable disease. Oh, so it's a reportable disease. It is. It is. And that's because it is quite serious, and it's very contagious. Why don't we start with what it is, and then how it's transmitted? Yeah, so chlamydia, it's got lots of names called the clap or... Yes, uh, you know, used to be a bit famous in olden days. Yeah, a little bit famous. (laughs) Infamous. (laughs) Infamous. Um, But it's still around. It's kind of, you know, it's evergreen. (laughs) Sad. (laughs) Um, So chlamydia, it's an STI. It's a sexually transmitted infection uh, and it is caused by a bug called chlamydia trachomatis and it's a bacteria. And which it's a special kind of bacteria that is able to evade the immune system really well because it lives inside cells. Okay. And you can have it for a long time and not know that you have it. Right. In some people it causes symptoms and in others it doesn't. So it won't, you have no idea. You could be completely asymptomatic. It's, it's so variable. So when you do have symptoms, it might be that you have... Um, and different for a man compared to a woman. So for yeah. a man, you may have a discharge, a penile discharge. You might have swollen, sore scrotum. You might have fever. But you might also be asymptomatic mm-hmm. and be what we call a vector or someone who passes things on. For a female, you may have an irritated cervix, but the cervix being the neck of the womb is internal. Yes. So you may not see any outward signs of that. Mm-hmm. Or feel anything. You may have discharge. So some women come to the doctor because they've had increased discharge or just different discharge. Uh, And you can get chlamydia in other places. So, you know, wherever you have unprotected sex, you can get it in the anus, you can get it in the throat. um, And if you, you know, kind of rub your eye, you can get it in your eye. You can get it in lots of different places. It, It can grow in lots of different cells. But the main important reason that chlamydia is a worry for fertility is it can cause a process called pelvic inflammatory disease, or otherwise known as PID. Yeah, and is this both in men and women? No, only in women. Uh, And that can cause scarring and infertility. This might sound ridiculous, but the koalas have chlamydia. Koalas do, and it's terrible for koalas. So it can cause blindness, and um, they tend to get it in the eye. Yeah. And um, so they don't get it as an STI. They probably do. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a koala expert. <laughs> they probably do. I imagine they do. Um, but the reason it kills koalas is, as a koala in the wild, if you can't see, if you go blind, you probably oh, don't survive. No, so the you poor don't. little koalas probably um, it is quite lethal. So back to human fertility. Back to humans. Um, I can speak with more authority on humans. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
pelvic inflammation? Yeah, so pelvic inflammatory disease. Inflammatory. Um, you know, one of the questions I always ask when couples come with infertility as they're presenting issue is if there's ever been a diagnosis of chlamydia, because there'll be a subset of women who have chlamydia. And not all women, by the way, get pelvic inflammatory disease because they have chlamydia. Some women will have mild cases. Sometimes they'll nip it in the bud. They'll have symptoms. They'll get onto it quickly and treat with antibiotics, which is still very effective, thankfully, against chlamydia. But some women will have scarring in the pelvis that actually prevents future pregnancy or dysfunction in the fallopian tubes, which are the kind of conduit, they're like the highway on which egg and sperm meet. And if you have a blocked tube, you're not only less likely to get pregnant, but you're also more likely, if you do get pregnant, to have an ectopic pregnancy, so yeah. a pregnancy in the tube outside the uterus. And that's because if the tube's not so open, if it's got scar tissue within or adhesions, um, as the fertilised egg, the, swim, the sperm swim up the tube, meet the egg in the tube... Um, and then the fertilised egg, as it tries to travel down to the uterus um, to implant where it's meant to, it might have trouble getting there and might implant instead while it's still in the fallopian tube and, and that can cause a, an ectopic pregnancy. And the reason that an ectopic pregnancy is dangerous is that while a uterus is designed to expand as a pregnancy grows, a tube is not. And so ectopic pregnancies, unfortunately, are destined to fail um, and can cause a lot of collateral damage in the meantime by destroying the tube and by causing bleeding if they burst, um, and that can be life-threatening. So it's quite serious. When we do a laparoscopy, which is a keyhole surgery, and we find adhesions in the pelvis, chlamydia has a pretty typical appearance. Mm -hmm. It tends to cause adhesions that look like little cobwebs, spiderweb type. Okay. Adhesions. Yes. Um, they can be pretty extensive. Yeah. There's a eponymous sign called Fitzhugh Curtis sign, which is when we see those spider webby adhesions around the liver. So in the upper pelvis. Okay, yep. And what that tells us is that the inflammation goes all the way from around the bottom of the pelvis in the tubes. All the way up. All the way up to the liver. So some women with PID have really bad and systemic symptoms. So they might have fever. They might have a lot of pain. They might be really seriously unwell. So if the pelvic inflammatory disease has spread that far, you will have symptoms? Yeah, usually. And maybe you might not know what they are, though. So you might get better and you might have chronic pain from and the adhesions. And you might have thought you had a cold or... Yeah. yeah, or sometimes you might present and people might think it's appendicitis or something different. Yeah. And the infertility is really due to those adhesions and also the damage to structures in the pelvis. And sometimes you get what's called a hydrosalpinx, which is when a fallopian tube gets infected badly and it's damaged by the infection and then it fills with toxic fluid. Mm -hmm. And that has a very typical appearance on ultrasound. So sometimes we diagnose infertility and kind of hypothesise, postulate that chlamydia was probably the reason mm -hmm. um, by finding that hydrosalpinx on scan. So how is chlamydia treated for both men and women? So when you detect that you have chlamydia, and that might be a few weeks after having it, a few days after having it, um, or it might be years after having it, the treatment is the same, and that's generally oral antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy. Um, usually one single dose of an antibiotic called azithromycin, um, either that or a course of an antibiotic called doxycycline, um, is very effective at getting rid of chlamydia but the current guidelines are a single dose of azithromycin okay. um, to treat chlamydia. And it is a reportable disease. So if I diagnose chlamydia in a patient, 
um, I have to report that diagnosis to the uh, health authorities mm -hmm. and then they do something called contact tracing, which is trying to get in touch with the person and trying to make sure that anyone that they have recently been intimate with and might have contracted gets chlamydia tested. gets tested and treated um, to try and stop it from spreading. So it's, it's not really anonymous, I suppose. Well, look, it is and it isn't. So, you know, that I guess it's it's really difficult. I don't bring up the partners of my patients. I, I just would outsource that yeah. um, to, you know, the health authorities. And they may just ring a person and say, hey, we have reason to suspect you might have in the last okay. two years been exposed to chlamydia. We have this information on the reasonable suspicion, so we suggest that you should be tested and treated if necessary by your GP. And so it's really... They won't ever link it back to the person. They won't link it back to the person. Mm -hmm. And look, while, yes, there are potential circumstances, social circumstances that dictate that that person might figure out why... Yeah. I guess the greater good is to try and prevent the spread of chlamydia. And if a person does have chlamydia, it's really important to try and encourage that person to contact their partner or ex-partner, or if it's not a partner, but they've had a sexual contact, um, to somehow either through this, you know, kind of third person, third party way or directly to let them know, because that's the only way we can protect others from being exposed. So another thing that women can have with chlamydia is intermenstrual bleeding. So your GP, if you, if you go to your GP and say, hey, I've been spotting after sex or I've been spotting between periods, um, your GP no will give you a chlamydia test. And the reason is that's one of the symptoms of chlamydia. Okay. Um, how do they test it in men? Men, it's usually a penile swab or you can do what's called a first pass urine and you can do this for females too, to look for DNA of the actual chlamydia. Mm -hmm. So when you give a urine sample because you think you might have a urinary tract infection, we usually ask for a midstream sample. So we try and catch the cleanest part of the urine. Yep. When we're looking for chlamydia, we're actually looking for the first pass. So we're looking for the oh, urine so that first comes out. No, just, just the first comes out in that time that you're passing urine. And, and the reason for that is that we're actually trying to wash the cells mm -hmm. that might have the chlamydia as an intracellular organism into the urine. So mm -hmm. we're trying to catch the cells from the skin on the inside ah, of the urethra. Okay. We're not trying to catch the midstream sample. because So we don't want the clean. We don't want the clean. We want the contaminated. Yeah. <laughs> and we do PCR, which is called polymerase chain reaction. So it's a technique where the DNA from the chlamydia is amplified. So it's mm -hmm. like photocopying the DNA from the chlamydia. And then um, the labs have a little DNA probe that matches the chlamydia and identifies it in the sample. So it's a very clever way of testing. The other thing to say about chlamydia is that while it's generally spread through sex, which can be vaginal, anal, oral sex, from someone who has the infection to someone who has not yet got the infection, it can actually be passed from mother to child. So if a woman is infected with chlamydia and she gives birth to a baby vaginally, the baby can contract the chlamydia on the passage through the birth canal and that can cause eye infections in babies and yeah. there are communities around where um, that's more prevalent. Right. So. Um, that's another really important reason that, and one of the reasons that if a woman's pregnant, she might be screened for chlamydia in the first trimester to prevent that problem from happening to okay. her baby. People, you know, often ask who's at risk of chlamydia and really everyone's Everyone. at risk of chlamydia. Yeah. And I always say, you know, there's a lot of stigma around sexually transmitted infections, but bacteria don't discriminate. So it's really important to use barrier protection mm -hmm. in a situation where you and your sexual partner have not been monogamous or have not been recently 
screened and given an all clear. And I always think that that should be come to with a completely non-judgmental perspective and just to protect each other from issues moving forward in a new relationship. It's yeah. kind of the way that our society is. It's quite normal that many people will have had more than one sexual partner by the time they enter a relationship. And just remember, bacteria don't discriminate and therefore neither should we. Where could you get tested? In the Australian system, where do you get tested? Uh, most people would go to their GP or a sexual health clinic mm-hmm. and have a test in the office there, either through the urine sample like we discussed, yeah. or if you had symptoms in the cervix, um, they might do a swab. The GP might do a speculum examination, a bit like for a pap smear mm-hmm. and or cervical okay. screening test and take a swab and send that away. It has to be a special swab. It's not going to be the same swab that they use for everything. Mm -hmm. So it's just a particular swab for chlamydia. If you are infertile because of chlamydia, what can we do? So if you're infertile because of chlamydia, it generally means that you have blocked fallopian tubes. So that means the sperm can't get through. Yeah. And it's actually a really easy application of IVF. So what I do, if somebody has blocked fallopian tubes or their fallopian tubes have been removed because they've had endometriosis or they've had... Um, an ectopic pregnancy. When you were describing it, it sounded a bit like endometriosis. We've talked about that webbing growing outside before. Yeah. So if there's tubal disease and it's insurmountable, then what we do is we stimulate the ovary and collect eggs outside the body in the lab, pop the sperm and egg together and make embryos and then place an embryo back from below through the natural opening of the cervix back into the womb. So kind of like, I think of it like a fallopian tubal bypass. Okay. And um, you've got to remember that when chlamydia is the reason and a physical blockage is the reason that egg and sperm can't get together and couples are otherwise fertile and there's no other barrier, um, the success rates in IVF are going to be way above average for most people because that's a really targeted pathology that IVF's really good at getting around. Um, Much easier, you know, a problem to solve than poor egg quality or... Mm. you know, kind of inflammatory conditions or implantation problems. One, one important thing to know about IVF is that while the technology is amazing, it's better at solving some problems than others. And for women with tubal function problems, um, that's really like the perfect candidate for IVF success. I would usually hope that couples in that circumstance would do extremely well. Thank you so much, Raylia. Thank you for listening to Knocked Up. For more information on what we've discussed today, chlamydia, please visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. We'll also put a link in the show notes. You can send us feedback and questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us on social media. So we're on Instagram and Facebook, of course. Find us under Women's Health Melbourne and also Dr Raylia Lou has her own. If you're a fan of the show and you'd like to support us, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe. It really helps others to find our show. And if you have any friends who you think might enjoy our podcast, please do direct them to our website or our podcast.